part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 21, if you don't have your Bible with you, we will have the verses up here and you can follow along with us this morning. It's very important to, uh, for us to see the Word of God, to experience that. You know, preachers, they, they work kind of hard to, to put words down and to kind of figure out things. And yet there is no power in our words. There's only the power in the Word of God. And so this morning, uh, we want to make sure that we're very true to the Scripture and that we camp ourselves there this morning. John chapter 21. If you've been with us over the last seven weeks, even if you've been in and out with all the, the chaos of, uh, we've had holidays, we've had weather, we've had a little bit of everything. Um, we've been talking about seven lives. And we also realize that there's some folks here today that are here just to celebrate with Josh today that you haven't been a part of that last seven weeks. So let me kind of fill you in where we've been. It's in a series that we call Seven Lives. It could have been just as easily 14 lives, 21 lives. It could have been 100 lives. Because what we've been doing is looking at the ministry of Christ in the Gospels and seeing the impact that Christ had on people as he met them and really looking kind of primarily highlighting the transformation that took place in their lives. And we've seen a lot of varied stories. They're, they're not like just duplicates of the same thing happening over, over, and over. What we see is, is that when Christ comes, he really impacts their lives very individually, and yet with this transforming power. Uh, for example, in the first week, remember, there was this guy, and it really sounds strange, and especially if you're here for the first time, you're going, okay, this is what this church is about. Because this guy lived in the graveyard naked, was crazy out of his mind, and went around just kind of disturbing folks. You're going, man, I, I wonder if we should have come this morning. This is what this church preaches? Now, this was the condition of this man. He truly was, just he had lost kind of all sense of reality, and he was just kind of living here this, this life that was just very, very chaotic. And he comes, and Christ heals him, And when that story ends, it says, and he was sitting there in his sound mind, clothed and participating in what they were doing. Transformation of a physical, a spiritual nature, a mental nature uh, nature in in that one. Uh, We saw a woman of the night, a woman that frequently men that were not her husband. And she comes in and she hears about Jesus and she sits at the feet of Jesus and she weeps and she washes his feet with her tears, takes her hair and, and, and washes and the person's house that they were in was a very religious person said, you know, Jesus, do you know who this woman is? And he knew exactly. And he had that pointed question to that very religious person. Do you see the woman? You see the sin, but do you see the woman? Do you see the life behind all this chaos and all this hurt? And so we've gone for weeks through this and we saw a little man, a short little man who had it all financially. He was very, very rich. He had kind of, if you want to say, even position in the community. And yet he knew in his heart that he was still longing for something. And so he climbs up a tree so that he can see Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to be eating with you today. Time after time, different situations, some of a physical nature. Last week, a woman who had... Uh, an infirmity, a sickness for 12 years. A sickness that had, for, under Jewish law, would have kept her from going to church, the synagogue. 
She would have been considered ceremonially unclean. And so that would have kept the doors closed to her. Twelve years that probably she went out with a lot, without a lot of relationship because a prolonged illness like that and of that nature, even the family members would have started kind of making their distance. And yet in boldness she comes out when Christ is in a, the throng of a crowd She says, if I just touch the bottom of the hem of his garment, if I can just get near and I can touch him. She had the faith that Christ could do something in her lives, and he does. And even though there were many, many, 20, 30, maybe that were in in immediate touching distance of Jesus, many more in the crowd, everybody kind of pressing around him, he, he says, who touched me? And when she confesses and kind of raises her hand and says, yes, it was me, He does something that we only see one time in all the New Testament. He turns to her and he says, daughter, daughter. Stories of life transformation, sometimes from a physical illness, sometimes from a spiritual illness, sometimes from just other chaotic things in life. And so through this, we begin to see that, you know, Christ is there and he's he's just not just fixing lives, but that he's taking this chaos and he's taking this disorder and he's bringing order to it. And so I pray that over the last six weeks that you've been able to kind of associate with that. That in the chaotic times of your life, whether it's sickness, a physical thing, whether it's something that you're just battling mentally, or whether it's really a truly spiritual kind of battle, that you can say, okay, I have one source that I know is going to be true. His name is Christ. And even though my story is not in, written in these you know, pages of the Bible, the truth is there for you today. But it would be really easy, guys, for us to look at all these lives that were dramatically transformed and think that transformation is a momentary thing. The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years sick, she touches the hem of the garment, Christ heals her, and immediately, in a moment, it said that she knew that she was well. That that man running around the graveyard naked, out of control, In a moment, Christ heals him and brings his life under control. Time and time again, momentary things, truly where you could mark it with a date and say, okay, there's a line in the sand. Here's what happened on this date. And yet I want you to know as we end this series that transformation, that is biblical transformation, gospel-centered transformation, is not just a line in the sand. It is salvation-wise. We don't evolve into Christianity. We don't become a Christian over a period of three or four or five years, and every day we get a little bit more Christ-like, and then one day we just kind of celebrate because we've graduated and we're a Christian. No, it is the miraculous happening of us, of what Josh's profession was. I, I come to the place where I know that my whole hope of being right with a holy God is not my goodness and me striving and trying to get things better and better and better, but it's putting my full faith and trust in that finished work of Jesus Christ. That is a line in the sand. That is momentary. We don't evolve into salvation. But guys, here's the thing. In Christianity, in the walk of Christianity, what follows that moment of salvation is transformation. The Bible sometimes will use the word sanctification. That is becoming more and more like Christ. Probably one of the best uh, illustrations I, I know to kind of give us something in our lives 
that we can kind of relate to is uh, this Friday, uh, a blessed 33 years with my bride. So 33 years ago, this Friday, we walked down the aisle and we said these vows and we meant them. We put these rings on our fingers and, and said, okay, we're going to be there and this is the commitment that we're making. Do you think my selfishness turned into sacrifice overnight just like that? That with this ring, when it went on my finger, all of a sudden I'm going, man, I don't have a selfish bone in my body anymore. I just want to do everything for her. No, my life, there was a line in the sand. Two became one. I was no longer single, I was married. There was a line in the sand. And yet the transformation of my mind and my heart has been 33 years in the making, and I will confess, if God gives us grace, it will be 50 or 60 years in the making. That there will be those times that my selfishness will still seem primary over my sacrifice for my life, for my wife. Do you understand that? For those who have been married, do you get it? (laughs) You're going, man, I'm still working on it too. And some of you have less years than us, and some of you have more years than us, and say, man, Bobby, we're 50 plus, and we're still trying to get that walk. Two parts. There was a day that you said, I do. There was a line in the sand, a date that you consider your anniversary, and then there has been this walk of marriage. There is a time that we come and we put our full faith and trust in the work of Christ. And God, in his miraculous way, saves us for all eternity. Something that does not go away, does not bank on our goodness, our ability to kind of follow that. And yet for the rest of our Christian life, we kind of see Romans 12 too. That's been kind of almost a a foundational verse to this whole series. That God wants to transform this mind and and place this heart to be more and more like Christ. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How does this transformation take place? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we said that, you know, this verse isn't really saying, okay, I want to know the will of God. Should I take this job or this? It's really not talking about the will of God in that kind of nature. It's not excluding that, but it's not really talking about it in that. It's it's talking about how do I just know to follow Christ? How do I become more and more thinking like Christ thinks and, and reacting like Christ reacts? And how many of you that have been a Christian, let's say for 20 plus years, would agree this morning that transformation still needs to take place. Just raise your hand. Yeah. It wasn't a line in the sand, a definite date, or a definite time in your life. I was 12 years old, a definite time, and yet transformation still needing to take place in my heart, in my life. And folks, that is the Christian walk until the final day when Christ will call us home, when there's that final glorification, what the Bible We begin to call it glorification, and we're made like him. And we're in this place of heaven where there is no more sin. But until that time comes, this is kind of that tension in our lives. And so how I looked at a lot of different stories, and there was a lot of ones that I wanted to use this last week of this series and and tell you about this person in the Bible and that person in the Bible. And yet, really to illustrate this particular part of transformation, I chose John chapter 21, 
and the story of Peter. The story of Peter, the, you know, Peter who said, hey, I don't know about the other guys, but I don't think you're going to find really fault here. I'm going to follow you even if it means death. And he meant it. He was always making, you know, he was always kind of speaking first and then thinking later. Peter just was one of those type personalities that just if he thought it, there was no filter. You know people like that? And so whatever came up here or came in here just kind of came out there. That was Peter. And so one of the things that we see in Peter's life is we see these great highs and we see him really loving Christ well and following God well and meaning it authentically. At the same time, what we see is there are times that, that Peter really did kind of scrape the, the, the bottom as far as just the emotions and, and this tension that we talk about, this chaos that can come even with the Christian life. If you know this story, and I don't want to assume that you do, Christ foretold that Peter was going to deny him three times. Peter could not even begin to imagine that, guys. It wasn't just kind of this denial, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. There was not a single place in Peter's mind or his heart where he thought it was possible. Why? Because he really did love Jesus. And yet when they arrested Jesus and took him away, that night, under all the heaviness and the the chaos of that night, three different times people came up and said, I I think you were with Jesus. You were one of the followers. Aren't you one of the disciples? And and he denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. What he thought was impossible, what he could not even imagine had happened. Where do you go with that, guys? What do you do with that? You know what Peter did? He did what a lot of men do. Well, if I can't do this well, I'll go find something else I can do well. Now, every guy in here, we know that there's a part of us that does that, you know? You go out there and you try something. If you're not really successful at it, it's kind of just not your thing. You're not able to do it kind of well. You kind of leave that alone. There's just something that we like success. And so we kind of gravitate toward our successes. And if we're good at math and not at English, we don't go to poetry readings, you know. <laughs> we, we do think that involves math or something kind of linear like that. Why? Because our minds are already geared to that, and we want to be successful. And I wouldn't say that that's just men. I just think that men, we have kind of an extra dose of that in us. So what does Peter do? Well, previous to his call, Peter was a fisherman. came from a long line of fishermen. He was in his blood. He knew how to fish. May not how to be a good disciple, maybe not a, a good preacher, this and that, but he knew how to fish. And so what does he decide to do? In this moment of defeat, John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, to the, to the others that are there, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I think I can handle because obviously I couldn't handle this. I didn't think I would be the one that would deny. Guys, honestly, I thought it was going to be all of y'all. <laughs> and some of you more so than the other. I didn't think it was going to be me. And when the finger kind of pointed back to him, Peter decides, I'm going to go back to something I can do well. I'm going to go fishing. 
They said to him, we will go with you. It shows kind of that leadership magnetism that Peter has. Hey, you, you may be going down with the ship, but hey, we'll, we'll go with you because you're a leader. Peter was really good at leading, so they, they're going to follow him. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. He goes back to something that he's good at. And he's not good. The one thing, have you ever had that place, hey, here's my one safety place in life. This is the one thing I can count on. Men, women, maybe you've been that place in a job before. Hey, a lot of other people got laid off and this and this. But here, I, I will know I will always have a job right here. And then one day you come in and they said, Man, Bobby, we have some sad news for you. And we're cutting back. Well, mainly we're just cutting you back. (laughs) And that one place of security, that one place you say, okay, this is solid in my life. I can always count on this. That's gone. And that's what happens to Peter. He goes out fishing, and that night he catches nothing. Nothing. Not even a minnow. Not even, you know, nothing. And so what does he do? Verse 5. And Jesus said to them, now he's on shore. They're out, you know, probably several hundred yards at this point. They're fishing out on the the sea. And and there's this guy. They can't make out because either the night, you know, the darkness of night or whatever it is that's going on. They can't see that it's Jesus. Uh, But they hear this voice. And this voice, hey, have you caught any fish? Now, again, think, put yourself in this position, guys. Peter's going to the place that something he can count on. This is the one thing I can do well. This is the thing I can do with my, my, my left arm tied behind my back, and yet he's failing at that. And somebody has the audacity to say, hey, have you caught any fish? Over the years, over these 33 years, there are times that she did not mean it, but you know, I'm working on something. The refrigerator, the lawnmower, this, that, and the other, the car. And she means nothing by it. Did you fix it yet? Now, every guy in here <laughs> who's tried to fix something and you can't get it fixed and you're frustrated. I mean, there's words coming to your mind that you haven't heard since the Navy. You know, and it's one of those things that, you know, just you're, you're sitting there and you're so frustrated and your wife means nothing by it, but, but comes out and says, Have, is it fixed yet? Have you fixed it yet? She's just trying to be an encouragement. And yet it is like a dagger that goes to the heart. No, I am a complete failure. I looked at the YouTube video. It seemed pretty simple. Take this off, take this off, put that in, and it hasn't worked. I am the dumbest man on earth. That's kind of where we find Peter. We find Peter in, in this situation where, again, the one thing that he thinks is rock solid, he finds out is quicksand. And the audacity of somebody to actually ask, have you caught any fish yet? The whole thing, children, do you have any fish? I imagine Peter said, yeah, I feel like a child. Verse 6. And Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Three years previously in the call of Peter to the ministry of Christ, something very similar had happened. 
he had been very unfruitful in his fishing. And this man that Peter did not know at the time, just had a hurt, red, hurt and uh, maybe red reputation of, tells him, fish on the other side. And he says, what does a preacher know about fishing? And he puts the net on that side and he gets so many fish that they can't even drag them in. It's almost sink the boat. That had happened three years ago and now it happens again. By coincidence, no, I think very purposeful. I think there's times in our lives that Christ and his compassion, his mercy, just brings us back to our call. Call to be a dad, call to be a mom, call to be a a husband, call to be a wife, call to be a church member, call to be a pastor, call to be a leader, call to be a coach. I think there's a lot of times in the chaos and the heaviness of life when things become disjointed and we just feel failures and we just put all the emphasis on ourselves rather than relying on Christ, that there's times that Christ in his compassion brings us back to a point He says, man, I'm going to bring you back to, down, down to ground zero. I'm just going to remind you of your call. And that's what he does here to Peter. Verse 7, that disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, he happens to be writing this book, so he doesn't call himself by name, but he does give himself a very big affirmation. The disciple that Christ loved, and Christ did love him, whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, "It's, it's the Lord. But whether it was a little bit more daylight now, whether he could just hear the distinction of Jesus' voice, now John says, that's not just any person, that's Jesus. And look what happens, guys. Look what happens. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he is stripped for work. When they fished, they wanted mobility, so they took off the outer cloak and, and all that. And so he puts that back on, and he threw himself into the sea. This is not the thinking of a sane man. You might say, well, maybe they were just like this far apart. Maybe they were just, you know, a little bit, and so he didn't mind getting his feet wet. The next verse tells us that they're 100 yards from shore. 100 yards is how long, guys? What's a familiar thing in our society that's 100 yards? Football field. Now, I don't know about you, but do you think you could actually swim a football field? I mean, I'm not talking about five yards or ten yards. First five, ten yards, man, 20 yards, we're starting to slow down. 50 yards, we're going, okay, it's the Coast Guard deer. 100 yards, we're going, I'm just going to die here. Desperate people do desperate things. Didn't we learn that last week? But did we also learn that a desperate faith can be a faith very much that God listens and, and hears and is compassionate to? God has not called one person in all eternity that was competent in themselves. Every person that God has ever called is a broken person. And many times in the midst of that call, it is in the bottom of that brokenness. Here's where Peter is. Verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards. Again, not far from land. Uh, It is if you're swimming, you know. So he comes in, and, and, you know, what we see here is this beginning of, of Peter at his lowest of lows. 
And yet at our lowest of lows, guys, I will tell you that you will find that when Christ is all you have, you'll find the sufficiency that Christ is all you need. It's one of those kind of oxymoron kind of thoughts, kind of those contrasting paradoxical thoughts that you're going, well, I need Christ most, but, but I also need my, my wife or my, my kids, and, but I, you know, I also need my dog. I love my dog. And you know, at, while I'm at it, give me one more arm because I need to hold on to this. And, and oftentimes, when all of those things maybe be stripped away for, for the moment, and we really can't find sufficiency in all those different things. Also, we, we see the brokenness of all of that. Those are some of the very times, guys, that we will find that Christ is all we have and that Christ is more than enough. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the only reason I get up to preach. This is the only reason that I'm not in some other field because I have this hope that's in Christ for every person. I've never met a person yet that didn't need Christ. I have never met a person yet that Christ could not completely transform and give hope to. I've had a lot of people that didn't want him, had a lot of people that thought they were sufficient themselves, but I've never found one person yet that was so desperately gone that God said, man, I give up on him. I give up on her. This is the hope of the gospel. It's the only reason I get up here on Sundays. Because if one, one person is sitting there in our midst of this church family on that Sunday, and they are where Peter is, and they've come to the very last thing, they said, you know, I thought that maybe I could go count on this. This is the strength I had. But I even failed in that. This is our hope. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we don't preach just morals and how to be better people. This is why every single sermon needs to rest and center on Christ because our ability to be better is not in our own morality. It is in the very Spirit of God empowering us through the power of the gospel. That when Christ was dead, he was raised to life. And that same very power for you and I to come from death to life, this is why we preach. This is the only reason why we meet, guys. Only reason why we meet is to preach Christ and his sufficiency. But here's Peter who's heard this message for three years, and yet Christ in his compassion teaches that to Peter once more. Rather than digging at Peter, he allows Peter to dig into the heart of the gospel. John 21, verse 15. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we don't know who the these are. Was he talking about the fish? Was he talking about the other disciples? Was he talking about life in general? We don't know. And in one way, it's sufficient not to know. Because the, the, the question that Jesus is asking is, where is the priority of your life? What is priority, Peter? He asked him that question. And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, then feed my lambs. Now, well, what is this feeding the lambs? This was his call. I mean, in the beginning it was, I'll make you fisher of men. Now he goes from fishing to, to a little bit of shepherding, but, but it's the same call. I place a call upon your life, Peter. That you're going to be going telling people the story of Christ, the hope of this gospel. And this is your call. Verse 17. 
I mean, he does this two more times. He, he, there's three times they ask, do you love me, Peter, more than anything? Yes, Lord. The answer that he gets every time, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And then the transformational moment comes. Verse 17. Peter already transformed spiritually. He's a follower of Christ. He's a believer in Christ. What we would call today, I believe, salvation. And yet he's still in need for transformation of mind and heart. Because his mind and heart says, I'm a failure. I blew it. There is no hope. I've abandoned my call. Verse 17. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Why was he grieved? I believe with my whole heart that at that moment the light kind of came on, you know, that little light bulb in the brain that said, okay, I denied him three times, and yet he has asked me this question three times, do you love me? And every time that he asked that question, I've said, yes, I love you. I know that Jesus really isn't hard of hearing, and so there must be a point to it, and that's where his heart is grieved. Why is it grieved? Because for a moment he sees his sin, his denial, and his failure. But in a moment, he sees his call. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. That's a statement of faith, guys. It's just not an acknowledgement of truth. It's a statement of faith. Because it was just a few days earlier that Jesus said, Peter, you're going to be the one that denies. Not me. I mean, how do you tell God that God doesn't know everything? How do you, you know, do you have the audacity when Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, really, you're going to be the one. No, not me. One of those guys, perhaps. In fact, if you want the list, I'll, I'll tell you who I think is most likely. But not me. In other words, let's just put it in, you know, we have to be careful, words that we would put into the, to the mouth of Christ. But but follow me in this. In a way, when Peter was denying what Christ had predicted to happen, Peter was saying, you don't know everything. And Jesus is very emphatic. No, this is the truth. This is what's going to happen. And he stays the course. And Peter stays his course. It's not going to be me. Now it is him. And I think this is a very transformational moment in the life of Peter. Peter, you... Peter says, Lord, you do know everything. You do know everything. You're sovereign God. What I thought was unimaginable, what I thought was impossible, you had predicted, and it came true. Lord, you know everything. What happens right after that? He says, you know that I love you. This was not a matter of love. It was a matter of obedience. It's a matter of of just following people in a fallen world. And yet, the compassion and the grace and the call of Christ, what does he say? Feed my sheep. Several years ago, I went to uh, the Holy Land. And they have little signs, you know, this is where the feeding of the 5,000. We're making guess on a lot of those things. It's not like somebody just has traditionally, you know, the day that Jesus fed 5,000, put a little placard there that says, okay, this might be important in history, so let's just say that this is where Jesus did. But more than likely when you stand on like that mount, where that mount was, it may not have been right there 
but it's not really big. The, the Holy Land, especially the area of Galilee, is not very big. So whether it was right there or it was right over there, or maybe even as far as the street, you know that you're in the presence. But I say that because there's this place where they have described where this breakfast took place. A lot of really incredible, worshipful moments in my visit to the Holy Land. And besides the empty tomb, or what we, you know, kind of have as the empty tomb, again, I don't know that it's really the actual empty tomb, this was my favorite place. Because I'm Peter. I can be so self-reliant. I can be so self-assured. I can be, okay, this is the one thing you can do. You may not be able to do this, but you can do this. And praise God, he really hasn't brought me to a place in life where that rug was pulled out from underneath me. I I mean, honestly, guys, I've made so many major mistakes in my life, but there's never been a time uh, that I felt like such a failure, perhaps like Peter felt here. But I've come really close. And, and I promise you that when I was visiting that place in the Holy Land, it may have been 2,000 years ago, and they didn't have a little campfire going, and they didn't have fish there. But I promise you, in my mind and my heart, they might as well have. Because it was such an endearing place. It was the place where I can say, God, in all my failure, you continue to call. In all of my you know, rebellion, You continue to forgive. And in all the things I break, you continue to want to put back together and restore. That's a transformational moment. It wasn't the moment of my salvation. That happened when I was 12. A line in the sand. I was dead and he brought me to life. I had a heart of stone, the Bible says, and he gave me a heart of flesh. 12 years old, line in the sand. And yet transformation in these last 43 years of God saying, I'm going to work on that old stubborn mind and I'm going to work on that old rebellious heart. This is a passionate God. This is a good God. This is a loving God. This is a Christ who sees us for exactly what we are and says, Bobby, feed my sheep. Jerry, feed my sheep. You go, this is my call upon your life. Is this a great God? So transformation, guys, as much as we love these dramatic transformations, naked in the graveyard, clothed in his right mind, we love that. Who doesn't love that? Man, we'd make five movies out of that. We love those momentary transformations, and we don't make light of that, especially when it comes to salvation. It is not an evolution. It is a moment in time when we just come to that reality and we put our full faith and trust in Christ, but please don't think that that's the end of transformation. Paul is writing in Romans 12 too. Who is he writing to? Christians or non-Christians? Christians. And yet in his writing to Christians who have had this moment in time of salvation, they have a line in the sand. They can point back when they came to Christ, and yet he says, I want you to be transformed in your mind. Why? So you can impress me, no, so that you may know the joy of knowing God's will for your life, his call, the preciousness of the intimacy with God himself. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if everybody here has that first line in the sand where there has been a time you said, you know, and I realize that God is holy, he's perfect in every way, 
and I'm not. And the only hope I have to ever seeing God and going to heaven is not by just being a good person. I've tried that, and yet I see that that's not sufficient. And so I thrust my whole care for this, my whole reliance for this on the finished work of Christ. I don't know if you have that or not, but, but I'd love to talk to you, have breakfast with you, lunch with you, supper with you, and, and talk about that time. But, but I would imagine that there's many here that do have that. You can say, oh, I was 12 too, or I was 11, or I was 18, or I was 25. Had one man years ago, came to know Christ at 82 years of age. You're talking about fun. That was fun. 82 years. And he comes professing Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. Is God continually transforming the way you think? Your marriage, your family, all those things. This, this is the walk of Christ now. And he's in this transforming business as much as he is in the transforming business of bringing us from, from darkness to light, from death to life. He's in this transforming business now to, to help us be more like Christ every day. Not to make much of us, but to make much of him. So there's not a person here this morning that this doesn't really apply to. This is our hope. And perhaps you find yourself in a place this morning, maybe not quite as desperate. Like I said, I I don't know that I've ever been as desperate as Peter would have been in this moment. Been in some desperate situations. And maybe you're not that desperate that your whole world is completely just falling apart. But I promise you, if you have brokenness in your heart today... Guys, I can tell you one place where you can find somebody to take broken pieces and put those back together in such a way that even in the midst of that brokenness, you will have wholeness. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He's our only hope. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, it's easy to, uh, to look at these other lives that have been transformed and think how cool that is that somebody who was out of their mind then came to be in their mind. Somebody who had been dealing with an issue, a medical issue for 12 years, and then they find healing. Father, we, we've read these stories. We've looked at these stories the last seven weeks. And Father, it is fascinating. It is encouraging to look at them. And yet, Father, today I pray that we would look at ourselves. And Father, that today that you would just show that you are still that God and that Christ is still in the transforming business. And that, Father, those broken pieces of our lives, we can bring to him. And Father, I don't know why you don't heal every disease. I know you can. I don't know why you don't, but I trust you. Father, I don't know why... You don't stop things like child abuse dead in its track, Father. You can. And yet, Father, you've given us a free will to to kind of act, and sometimes we act out. Father, there's so many things I don't know, but here's... Father, I, I do know and I believe with all my heart this, that the God and the Christ that we read about today is the God and the Christ, Father, that you are this day for me and for everybody in here. 
And so, Father, for those that are doubting their call, whether it be to marriage, to parenting, to this, to that, maybe even to ministry, Father, I I pray that you would strengthen that today. Father, those who uh, are thinking about just abandoning the whole Christian life, Father, I pray that you'd kind of, Father, just speak out that call that you placed on their life when they came to know you. Father, for those today that said, you know, Pastor, I would be one of those that I know about God. I kind of think about God. If you ask me if I believe that there is a God, I would probably say yes. But I don't know him in the way that you talked about today. Father, I pray that you would just do what you would do for them, Father, what you did for Peter. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you that you are this God. We pray for, praise you, Father, for the hope that is found in the gospel. And all this we pray, Father, because of one man, our Savior, our Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, Father. And we pray it in the power of his name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.